It's wonderful. Genesis part 44, Genesis chapter 34. The title of the sermon today is Restored Honor. Restored Honor. Let's pray. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. I'll give you here a few seconds and then we'll, we'll pray. Genesis chapter 34. We're going to cover the whole chapter. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for just the grace and the mercy that's on display here week in, week out. And that we're going to see today in our passage a victim. And we in this room are responsible for our sins. We have sinned against God, but we are also victims. We've all been victimized by other people, by the enemy. And Father, I thank you that your word has, to, has something to say about that. And Jesus, thank you for fighting to restore honor, an honor that we gave away and an honor that was also stolen from us, a dignity, an innocence. And we thank you for your work, that your fighting for us is not just to forgive our sins, but one day what was true in the garden, behold, you are very good, will be true of us again. Jesus, you don't just get vengeance for the sins committed against us. You bring restoration. All that was stolen from us, all innocence lost, will be regained, recaptured, and given back. And so I thank you for your presence here this morning, that your power over the universe and over this very room. I ask you to help me as I open up your word, help us to hear from you. Open my eyes, open my ears, open our eyes, and open our ears. Change us. Jesus, be honored. So in your name we pray. Amen. Bad brothers. Over and over again in the book of Genesis, we have seen sibling rivalry. We have seen family tragedy after family tragedy. We have seen mothers who are uh, against each other. Sarai and Hagar. Mama drama. We've seen it. Uh, we've seen battles back and forth. We've seen fathers acting poorly. We've seen people jockeying for position. Uh, we've seen a lot of things go bad in the family dynamics in the book of Genesis. In this chapter, uh, we see much of the same. We see dysfunction, but we also see brothers acting valiantly. Uh, they get some things wrong, yet again, like so many brothers do in the book of Genesis. But in this chapter, we see them get some things right. They do some right things in the wrong way. But in the book of Genesis, we see brothers jockeying for position, deceiving each other, Jacob and Esau, fighting. We see threats of murder. We see great restoration, as we saw a couple weeks ago, and reconciliation. But rarely do we see what we will see today, which is siblings giving honor or fighting for the honor of another. Brothers fighting for the honor of their sister. In fact, Jacob was not a good brother. He just simply wasn't. Last week in Genesis chapter 33, we see uh, the restoration. We see reconciliation between Jacob and Esau. And then we see Jacob, unfortunately, after he gets a lot of things right, we see him stumble back into his life of deceit with his brother Esau. Jesus, on the other hand, is not a deceitful brother. He is our faithful big brother. And I want to connect some dots here for us as we get going here in this, in this sermon. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 11 and Mark chapter 31 through 35. A couple references. 
Hebrews 2, verse 11. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified have one source. That is why he, speaking of Jesus, is not ashamed to call them us brothers. Jesus is our faithful sibling. He is our faithful big brother. And he's not ashamed to call us family. Mark chapter 3, verse 31 through 35 says this, And his mother and his brothers came, standing outside. They sent him and called him. And a crowd was sitting inside around him. And they said to him, Hey, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. He answered them, Who are my mother? Who's my mother and who are my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. We do have a faithful, not just high priest, faithful Savior. We have a faithful, big brother Jesus. And if you've had never anybody in your family, immediate family, fight for your honor, believe me, you have a faithful big brother who has fought for your honor. And one day he will win back everything that's been stolen from you. Genesis chapter 34 tells of some valiant brothers who fight for the honor of Dinah, their sister. Dinah is mistreated, she's abused and used, she's violated. And they give us, the brothers do, an imperfect image of Jesus, but an image nonetheless. And we're going to see something in these brothers that is an imperfect image of Jesus. But it's going to show us what brothers are supposed to do. What does perfect siblingry look like? What does it mean to be a good and faithful big brother? We're going to see images of a Christ-like image of a brother in Genesis chapter 34. Genesis chapter 34 starts with tragedy. Look at verse 1 through 4 with me. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her, and he lay with her and humiliated her. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. And so Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this girl for my wife. Dinah... We see her going out with a group of ladies, and she is innocently walking on her way. She's doing nothing wrong. And Shechem, the son of the prince Hamar, who's accustomed, no doubt, to getting what he wants, sees something he wants. He sees not a woman or not a daughter of the Lord, certainly not a person of the tribe of Israel. He sees a woman that he wants to take control over. He uses his strength, unfortunately, to get what he wants by force, and he violates the daughter of Jacob, Dinah. This is manhood at its absolute worst. Using strength that God has given, not to protect, but to harm. We've talked about this the last couple weeks, referenced it at least. Men are intended to make women feel safe, secure, protected, and known. Safe, secure, protected, and known. This this horrible, horrible man does the exact opposite. He uses his strength to get what he wants. He harms Dinah. And instead of desiring her in a wrong or harmful way afterwards, he presumes to think that that somehow is a foundation to move forward. And he somehow begins to like her. Actually, it says that his heart was turned toward Dinah. He spoke tenderly with her. It started off wrong, but he wanted to pursue things with her and continue on. And he wanted... Dinah to be his wife, and he told his dad as much. Get me this girl for my wife. Well, word of this violation began to travel fast. 
Jacob hears, and then the brothers, a.k.a. Jason Bourne, plural, who they turn into here in a little bit, find out. Word travels fast. What happens? Look at verse 5 with me. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter Dinah, but his sons were with the livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out the field, went out to, to Jacob to speak with him. The sons of Jacob had come in from the field, and as soon as they heard of it, the men, and the, as soon as they heard of it, and the men were indignant, indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter. For such a thing must not be. Verse 8, But Hamar spoke with him, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. Make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us. And take our daughters for yourself. You shall dwell with us, and the land shall be open to you. Dwell and trade in it and get property in it. Shechem also said to his father and to her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes. Whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me for this, ask me for a great a bride price and a gift as you will, and I will give you whatever you say to me. Only give me the young woman to be my wife. Jacob finds out he remains calm, cool, and collected somehow. We could surmise from that that he is acting wrongfully, not wanting her honor, or we can look, look at that and say this is in fact him acting wisely, being able to be calm, cool, and collected. We can't because we don't have enough information to say definitively. But what we see as the terms begin to be negotiated back and forth with Jacob and the brothers, in verse 7, the brothers find out, and they're indignant, they're angry, they're raging, they want justice. And I tell you what, when we read about their anger, when we read that they're indignant and very angry, I'm going to speak for you. Okay? I think we resonate with that. I think when we see the crime committed against committed against Dinah, and we see the rage of the brothers, I, I think, in general, most people want to say, way to go, go get them. Way to go, brothers. Step up for her. Don't violate any woman, but do not violate your sister. They stand, they're angry, they're frustrated. I think we all, kind of with a united voice, feel like, good job, way to go. Do something about this. Make this right, because this is wrong. Bring justice where there is none. We like these brothers. I wonder how Dinah felt after being violated when she saw the anger and the rage of her brothers. A wrong gone unacknowledged adds more pain to the wrong committed. And they are not about to look at this wrong and not acknowledge it. Not only are they recognizing the sin committed against her, but they're angry about it. And if you've ever been wronged, and it's been poo-pooed, it's not been acknowledged, you know the pain that's inflicted upon you. It's like right in the side, just... Ugh. When wrong committed against you goes unacknowledged. Dinah, I'm sure, felt somehow or another comforted by the fact that the brothers wanted justice. That they wanted... Dinah's honor to be restored. The delegation, delegation continues on through the second part of that narrative in 8-12, and Shechem longs for Dinah. 
please give her away. Let's intermarry. This will be good for you. It'll be good for us. You can have our daughters. We'll have your daughters. Jacob and the brothers are both present in verse 11 and verse 12. He says, just name the price. What is it that you want? And we will do it. So Jacob and the brothers come up with a plan. There's a plan in the works. Just like the A-team. They love when a plan comes together. A plan is coming together. Plan in the works. The brothers speak in verse 13. The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and the father Hamor deceitfully because they have defiled, because he had defiled their sister Dinah. They said to him, We can't do this thing to grieve our sister, to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you, that you will become just as we are by every male among you being circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to ourselves, and we will dwell with you and become one people with you. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter, and we will be gone. Okay? Deceitfully, the plan comes into the works. There's no way we're going to do this unless you men, and not just you, Shechem and Hamor, all of your men, if you'll receive the mark, if you'll become circumcised as we are, then and only then will we let this happen. So they give them a condition. And then, verse 18 has the weirdest response in, I think, all of the Scriptures. Because it says this, Their words pleased Hamor and Hamor's son Shechem. Pleased. Why? What? Pleased? Hmm. I love those terms, Jacob and brothers. Simple. It pleased them because Shechem would get Dinah, but also notice how little Hamar and Shechem, if you'll notice here in a second, I'm going to read it, Hamar and Shechem give their men half-truth. They don't mention this whole deal going down for Shechem to get Dinah, they only mention the benefits that's going to come to them. They're only going to mention the fact that now this people would get all that Dinah, Jacob, and the brothers have through intermarrying. They only mention the benefits. We can have all their stuff if we just circumcise ourselves. And if we'll get their God mark, we can have it. It reads as follows, starting in verse 18. Look with me. The words pleased Hamor and Hamor's son, Shechem. And the young man did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now he was the most honored of all his father's house. So Hamor and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of their city saying, These men are at peace with us. Let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters as wives and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men agree to dwell with us and become one people. When every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised, will not their livestock, their property, and all of their beasts be ours? Only let us agree with them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of the city listened to Hamor and his son Shechem. And every male was circumcised, and all who went out of the gate of his city. If we just get this God mark, we can get everything that they have eventually through intermarrying. They mention the benefits. They mention nothing about the deal that went down for Dinah. 
I think these men were deceived. There's a whole lot of deception going on. Jacob and the brothers are deceiving, and now there's deception happening in this household and this nation as well. But this is the only way. The only way if they receive this God mark. They all agree, and they pick up the knife, and they uphold their end of the bargain. So here it is. Shechem's going to get to marry his girl. But this is when Jason Bourne comes out. And they do some things with right motives with the wrong actions. But look at verse 25. On the third day, when they were all sore, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, they took the swords, came against the city while it felt secure, and they killed all the males. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away. And the sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and the herds and the donkeys and whatever else was in the city and in the field. And on their wealth they took and all the little ones and their wives and all that was in the houses they captured and plundered. They go to Hamor and Shechem after they kill all the males. And could you imagine after the uproar of the city when they hear all the screams of all the males being killed and here it is, they come in and there's the daughter, there's Dinah sitting there. And Simeon and Levi with swords in hand kill Hamar. They kill Shechem and they grab their sister. She was in the belly of the beast and now she's rescued to be brought home. And the rest of the sons, they come in, they finish the job. They take everything. They plunder the city. And the honor we see that Dinah had stolen for her. They, the sons, the brothers, were able to get vengeance. But they were not able to restore what was taken from their sister. There were limitations upon them. They provide for us a simple picture of a call to justice, fighting for what's right. Their motive was we can't let this happen to our daughter. We, our sister, we need justice to prevail. They kill everybody and rescue her. But honor that's stolen cannot in this lifetime by humans be restored. Vengeance can happen. You can try to get even. But humans cannot get back what was stolen from them. Dinah could not get back the innocence that was taken from her. 30 and 31 show a father that was displeased. What have you done? This will be the end of us. Basically, that's what he says. Verse 30, that Jacob said to Simon, Simeon and Levi, you have brought trouble upon me by making me stink in the inhabitants of the land. The Canaanites and the Perizzites, my number of numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. But they said, should he treat our sister like a prostitute? Yeah, they may kill us, the brothers say, but nobody's going to treat our sister like that. Uh-uh. I'll die for her. And it's okay for us to be plundered and killed, but we will not let her be treated this way. As I was studying this passage this week, to be honest, it was, uh, it was difficult. Several read-throughs, and it was just uh, it was a challenge. And uh, Jordan was quite helpful in this. She had read through it, and 
made some comments about restored honor and Jesus, a faithful big brother coming to restore the honor, honor that was lost. But I wrestled with this because I don't want to put things in a passage or in a chapter that is not there. Uh, the error of preaching in that way is called, it's a big word, okay, you'll learn today, it's called eisegesis. Eisegesis takes things that are not in a biblical passage and puts them there and then preaches it as if they are there. Exegesis or exposition, so we want to explain what is there, is what we seek to do week in and week out. We want to explain what is in the Bible. That's what we want to do. We want to take what's here and we want to explain it and we don't want to add or put anything to it or in it. Okay? So with big sweeping narratives like this, it becomes easy to do the wrong sort of preaching, to put things there that are not there. Often this happens where preachers will put themselves in a passage or a congregation in a passage and they're simply not there. So if I error in understanding this passage, I want to error, so to speak, in seeing too much of Jesus in it, if that's possible. Seeing Jesus in a passage that the original author, so as Moses is pinning this work, seeing Jesus in a passage that he himself may not have seen any prophetic utterances to he may not, not have seen anything that's happening in this passage or this chapter to do, to do anything with the coming Messiah. But us, who are on this side of the Christ cross, we get to see Jesus in passages that maybe Moses didn't. It's a privilege of those on this side of the cross, is what I'm saying, that we get to see Christ everywhere. We get to see themes that come out from the passage, from the narrative. He dwells in these pages, friends. He really does. In John chapter 5, Jesus said, If you believe Moses, you believe me, because he wrote of me. So as we read these narratives, we're reading certainly things that happened in historical events. In, it really happened. This isn't just some story that we're to take and say, okay, well, don't violate anybody. It is truth. It did happen. But if we error, okay, which we're not erring when we see Jesus in a passage, we want to just see all of Jesus that we can possibly see. And so I think in this story, in this chapter, there's some Jesus connections here. Okay? And that's what I want to spend the rest of my time. We're going to have three supporting passages. Okay? This is a little bit different of a sermon than is typical here. Because we are going to jump a little bit. Three supporting uh, 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 passages. We're going to be in Genesis, we're going to be in Colossians, and we're going to be in Hebrews. And we may end up in Revelation again. So there may be four. Three for sure, possibly a fourth. The Jesus connection. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, and in verse 31, I want you to see the honor that was placed upon humanity. In this room, I prayed at the beginning, I, I prayed two things. In this room, we have people who are, right here, us, we are responsible for our sins. And before our holy God, we have sinned. But in this room, we also have victims. People who have been victimized. And in the garden, Eve and Adam were both. They were responsible for their sins, but they were also victimized by an enemy. There were things that were stolen, and they willingly walked into it. They are not innocent of the matter. But oftentimes, in circles like our own, we don't want to talk about victimization. We want to talk about personal responsibility. 
And that's a reality because we live in a world that doesn't want to accept personal responsibility. In fact, in counseling over and over again, I see the enemy so confusing people, they will feel guilty for being victimized, but then won't take responsibility for their sins. They'll make excuses for their sins. The enemy confuses people so much where they, they don't want to take responsibility for their sins, but they feel guilty for being sinned against. Victimized. The enemy works that way. It's, it's weird. But in chapter 1 of Genesis, I want you to see the honor and the dignity and the value that God himself bestowed upon humanity. The innocence that was given. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says this, So God created man in his own image. And in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. Image of God. Image bearers, there's no animal in the world that has this dignity. There is no level of consciousness. There is no level of sense of justice that's inherent within your being and other creatures of this earth. You and you alone have been created in the image of God. From what we're aware of in all of the universe, it is only humans here who have been bestowed this dignity and honor who have moral responsibility and the ability of volition to make decisions that are consequential. You have dignity and value. It says as much in verse 31, God said, God saw everything in verse 31 of chapter 1 that He had made and behold, it was very good. God creates everything, creates man and woman in His own image. Fully equal Yet different, unique. Equal doesn't mean same. That's what the insanity of our world and so much of the church is right now when they want to say equal means same. Okay, Equality of gender doesn't mean same. You're different. There's males, females. That's what God has designed. We're fully equal, but more than equal. So much more. Male, female. But God bestowed, and then He said after He created everything and after He created humanity, behold, this is very good. This is good. Good. Honor. Dignity, the God of the universe declaring pieces of identity over us that we are good. But in chapter 3, something goes horrifically wrong. The enemy of our soul came to deceive and steal away honor that God places upon Adam and Eve. The deceiver seems to win. Comes to Eve, Adam who's there with her, both are deceived and walk in sin. He violates Eve's innocence and she took the bait. She bit the fruit. Adam joins in. Joins in. Humanity walks willingly into the true belly of the beast, the enemy of our soul, and gave up the glory and the honor that comes from God. Gave it up in search for our own glory that we can get for ourselves. So we see what J.R. Vassar and Arthur calls glory hunger all over this earth. We know we're built for something more and we go out in life to search for it. Glory, honor, our name, our worth, our value. We are obsessed with things like that in our world and culture. I want to build a kingdom for myself. I want to be known. The Pharisees preferred the glory that came from man over the glory that came from God. Friends, people-pleasing Meth and its addiction, drugs and its addiction has nothing on people-pleasing. People-pleasing, the glory that comes from people, it's like our souls find it insatiable. 
Oh, you did something good. Tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. So we are built for this glory, built for this honor, and we give it away. The enemy comes, steals away this innocence, and we walk willingly into it. Unlike Dinah, who was unresponsible for the sin that was committed against her, we are responsible for our sins that were committed against us, but also we are victims, like Dinah, of the enemy of our souls. We have been victimized. From that point forward, humanity has preferred this false glory from peers, and we're not concerned about glory from God. So is there a way for this enemy, this ancient foe, to be destroyed? Is there a way not just for vengeance to happen against this enemy? Is there a way for us, humanity, to be restored, for honor to come back? Not just for a city to be slaughtered, not just for vengeance or anger to be had and come through uh, by rescuing Dinah. Is there a way for Dinah to get back what was taken from her? And there's a way for you and I to get things restored or, or things simply lost. Has the enemy won? Can our foe be defeated? Enter. Jesus. Here's these connection points. What does our big brother Jesus do? Dinah's brothers got vengeance but could not restore the innocence. Jesus defeats the enemy and wins back honor for us. Dignity. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, verse 10 through 15. Colossians chapter 2. We're going to move through a couple passages here. And then we'll be done. Jesus came and He brought justice and restored honor. Our faithful, faithful big brother. Jesus, in seeing the wrong committed against us, entered into human history through the sending of His Father, came to battle with right motives and right actions, and has defeated our foe. 10 to 15, chapter 2. That's what it says. And you have been filled in Him who is the head and rule and all authority. And in Him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body. Excuse me, sorry. Uh, starting in verse uh, 13. Verse 13, sorry. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Okay, pause. Not behold, you're very good anymore. Post-fall, post-Genesis 3, the judgment upon humanity are passages like this. No longer are we good. Image of God is there, but we are no longer very good. We are spiritually dead rebels who have sinned against God. And it says as much in this passage. You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, but God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Thus, this He set aside, nailing it to the cross. And look at verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Because of sin, honor lost, 
Humanity is dead in trespasses and sins, but God makes people who are dead alive to him. Jesus, by his word, disarming the rulers and authorities, that ancient foe, restores something to us. He doesn't just make us forgiven. He brings something to us and bestows upon us things that were lost. He wins. He defeats the enemy. And he puts this enemy to open shame. He cancels our debts. And the enemy is mocked because of the work of the Son, our faithful big brother, Jesus. He defeats the ancient foe. He gets vengeance, and not just vengeance. He restores honor to the innocence of his Dinah, the bride of Christ. And in Christ, there's no stolen honor. None. It all gets back to us. Jesus gets it back for us. Friends, a greater Eden is coming because Jesus has the ability not just to defeat enemies. He has the ability to take everything that was stolen from us, get it back, bestow it back upon us, and we will remember that no more. That is good, good news. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 through 18. I told you today would be a little bit different. And I think we are going to finish in Revelation, so we will have four supplemental passages. So supplemental passage number three, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 through 18. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself is likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Friends, this is Dinah in Shechem, or in the control of Shechem and his dad, Hamor, subject to this cruel rule and authority. And Jesus, that he might destroy the one who has power over the death, that is the devil, and bring rescue to those who are subject to lifelong slavery, did this in verse 16. For surely is it not the angels that he helps, but he helps, it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Brothers so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of his people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I want you to see this. He is the true and the faithful big brother. The limitations that were upon Simeon and Levi are not upon our King Jesus, our faithful brother. He is one And until that victory, until he returns and that honor is bestowed upon us again, he is with us and he understands our pain. Verse 18, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Because he came as fully human, he understands your pain. And he hasn't just walk with you and take your hand and understand it. He has promised to restore every pain that's been afflicted upon you, everything that has been stolen from you, every slanderous word that has come upon you, Jesus will win all of those things back. And you will reign with Him. Final verse, Revelation chapter 22, verse 1-3. through We'll be done.
does it mean for humans to be honored by God? It sounds weird because we exist, after all, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The end of all things isn't our honor, it's God's honor. And yet, there is a glory that comes from God. He bestows upon His enemies the title of sons and daughters, gives us back everything that was lost, stolen, taken away. And what does restored honor when Jesus looks to you one day and you stand before Him? The Heavenly Father, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Master. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Those words spoken over Jesus will be spoken over you at one day, one point. And that honor being restored, behold, you, you are very good. What does it mean to have honor and dignity restored again? Revelation 22, verse 1 through 3 tells us what this fully human beings who are now restored will look like. What will they be doing? The angel showed me a river, the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb of God through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. This is more than just Jesus bringing justice. This is restoration, friends. This earth restored. But the throne of God and the Lamb of God will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. Nothing cursed, all restored. And when Jesus brings that restoration, the servants of His will worship Him forever and ever and ever and ever. Friends, Jesus is our true and faithful big brother. Levi and Simeon give us a picture in Genesis 34. A limited picture, but a picture nonetheless of our faithful Jesus coming to rescue not just His sister, but His bride. His very bride, our faithful big brother. Let's pray. Father, I thank You. I thank you each one of us are both, our hands are guilty, but also we have been inflicted blows from other people whose hands are guilty for the sins committed against us. Jesus, you've seen every single one of them. And you will not let us be mistreated. You will not eternally sit by with your hands on your lap doing nothing. You will valiantly and have valiantly fought for us. And one day you're going to come back and you're going to finish this thing. You're going to finish this thing. And you're going to bestow upon your sons and daughters a greater honor that was even given to Adam and Eve in Eden. And when that happens, the beauty of what we will become, sinless creatures, eternal beings, without ever struggling ever again, a glory that goes unmatched in this world right now, we will worship you and honor you. We will not be glory robbers anymore. We will not seek glory that comes from another other means. We will want to honor and glorify you for the glory you bestowed upon us. And now it's our joy to sing to you as your sons and daughters. Jesus, thank you for being our faithful big brother. It's in your name we pray. Amen.